So as I said, we're going to pick up in chapter 10 um, this week, and this is kind of a, a transition um, to a different, maybe not a different topic, but a, um, back to a topic that we looked at earlier. I believe in about chapter 7, um, Paul kind of left off from addressing some of these Judaizing or the false teachers um, and went on into some, some thoughts around the giving, the offering, the collection. Uh, and so he's transitioning back uh, to a certain extent for the remainder of the book, uh, chapters 10 through 13, to addressing some of those false teachers, some of those teachers that were opposing him uh, and opposing the teachings of Christ in Corinth. Um, in addition to that, he's trying to further convince the Corinthians to stand with him, to stand with Christ and his teachings. Um, in this section, you see Paul kind of bookending it, and we're, we're going to look at chapter 10, verse 8. Um, the thought of, in verse 8, we read, for building up of you and not for destroying you. And you'll see similar language towards the end in chapter 13. This idea of what he's wanting to do is build them up and not tear them down. And again, in, in kind of opposition to those false teachers who are, are really trying to to take them back into the world, take them back into uh, some of the, the Old Testament teachings. Um, in this section, chapters 10 and following, especially chapter 11 and, 13, 11 and 12, we see Paul boasting, uh, uncomfortably so, boasting um, in his authority, boasting in his, his speaking as the oracle of God and, and being that that foundation for truth for this church. Um, as we discussed previously, and we looked at when we studied 1 Corinthians, this, the church at Corinth was dealing with a lot of issues, and by all accounts, um, they're still dealing with a lot of those issues. They might have addressed the big issue, uh, which he speaks to in the earlier chapters around the, the son being with the father's wife. They address that issue, but by all accounts, they're still dealing with some other issues. Division, um, those that are, that are turning back to the world potentially, um, those that feel they're, they're superior uh, from, a, from a spirituality standpoint than those around them. Uh, and I think it's the reason I'm kind of making these comments, I think it's important for us to reflect on ourselves. Um, and think about it um, as we're dealing with maybe a major issue. Maybe we get that major issue behind us, a man living with his, his father's wife, and we think we're good. Um, we need to continue to challenge ourselves, continue to look to the word and make sure that we are in all ways following the pattern that's given to us. And I think that's what he's trying to get at here is the pattern that he is providing to the church at Corinth is the pattern. It's, it's not what these false teachers are bringing, the, the path of destruction. He's trying to edify them. He's trying to build them up. And so as we think about the remainder of these chapters, I think I'd encourage you to just really reflect on how we're going to use this and how we're thinking about ourselves um, and making sure that we are using the word as the reflection that we need to not not grabbing hold of teachers, not grabbing hold of men, but looking strictly to the word um, as it relates to this uh, and as it relates to the one place of truth. And so 
Let's read chapter 10 real quick. Uh, as I've said each week, I'd like us to read and spend some time reading so that we get a sense of the context. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we'll begin in verse 1, and I'll read the entirety of this chapter before we start our discussion. Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I may, be, may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are <clears throat> taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is in Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I should boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I shall not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal pres presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letter, when absent, such person we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure, the sphere which God apportioned, us, apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labor, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we shall be within your sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what we have accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord." For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So we'll go back to, after I take a sip, back to the beginning of this chapter. Paul starts out, again, the starting back in that defense of, of his authority, starting back in the defense of some of the accusers or those that are trying to, to minimize his authority, speaking to the idea of boldness in letter versus um, being more reserved or more meek in presence. And what he says is he's the same person in his letters, in his writings, as he is face-to-face. Uh, and I think reading in between the lines, some people, these false teachers in particular, misread his humility, misread his meekness as weakness. Um, and 
he's hoping that he will not need that boldness when he stands in front of them. Uh, he hopes that he won't have to use that authority that he has. Uh, he's been given that authority and speaks to that here. Um, he has the authority to correct them, to make correction if needed, but he's hoping to not need to do that. Um, and again, I think some of the things we've spoken about in, in earlier chapters, really the need for us to reflect on ourselves and think about as we're making corrections in others, um, how do we reach that balance? Um, how do we reach that balance between um, challenging and standing up for what's right, but also being long-suffering and helping that individual to see what's right and wrong. And it's a, it's a fine line. It's a fine line because we want, as did Paul with the church at Corinth, we want the individual to change and do what's right because they've had a change of heart, because they've had a change of attitude, not because we're driving them, not because we're coming at them with a rod. We want that change of heart. And I think that's the background for what Paul, why Paul has taken this approach. Obviously, he's uh, inspired the Holy Spirit. He's been given some, some insights probably that we don't have, but we, have, we can use our same wisdom and we can use the scriptures to guide us to find that balance. You know, I think back to, um, to the example of Christ in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, um, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, kind of encouraging people to come. But then, you know, a few chapters later, speaking forcefully in Matthew 23, but in other places, forcefully to the scribes and the Pharisees and being pretty blunt and pretty brutal with what he says to them. And so, now granted, in those situations, two completely different audiences. And I think that's, that's the point is we need to think about who our audience is, what their intent is, you know, is it someone who's, who's simply in error, or is it someone who is, as the scribes and Pharisees, um, maybe directly trying to steer someone away from where they should be, and, and guiding people and using, whether it's under the old law or under the new law, using scriptures uh, and making their own laws. Um, and so, again, I think it's just a great example of kind of the two these examples with Christ, polar opposites, most of them fall somewhere in the middle, which means we've got to use our own wisdom and our own judgment. Um, Paul desires that they would react to his meekness. Uh, and we can look back, we can look back 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3, he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And so this is not a new concept, this idea of him coming to them uh, in meekness and in weakness. Um, but in just a couple of chapters over in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And so he's trying to walk that fine line. And, and the main reason I, I want us to really think about this is, is think about how we're, again, using these examples. How are we using these examples for um, the purposes of guiding some of those who are in sin back? <clears throat> Again, not, not allowing sin, but also not pushing so hard as to have the person reacting for the wrong reasons. Are they reacting just because they're fearing the rod? 
granted, it might be a good reason to react if their heart has changed. Uh, we, need, we can be forceful in certain situations, but in certain situations we need to take a step back. Uh, the other thing kind of, and I'll, then I'll pause and get anybody's thoughts um, on this topic. I think we need to be very careful that as we're approaching those who are in error, it doesn't turn into, I'm gonna prove that I'm right. It's not about me. It's not about me being right and you being wrong. Might be the case. They are wrong, you're right. It's about getting them back to where they need to be from a, from a uh, spiritual standpoint, getting them back in a relationship with, with Christ. That should be our goal in statement. Um, the other thing that we need to be careful of is oftentimes, and I wonder, um, within the divisions that we know about, we're in, we're in the church in Corinth, need to, we need to be careful that that vindictiveness, that this is a war between me and you doesn't start happening. Um, it's, it's easy when someone's in error to, you know, get angry. Um, and we should be angry about sin and we should be upset about sin, don't get me wrong, but, but how do we approach that person with this meekness, with this gentleness, so that they want to return. If it turns into me versus you, then we're missing the point. So I'm going to pause here and see if there are any comments. Let's see, Chris. Um, I'll walk this one back. Go ahead, Chris. So this uh, principle that he, he said, well, I, I guess I look at it as a principle, his being meek and present uh, when, when he's present with them. Uh, I wonder if it's uh, like Galatians ver uh, chapter 6, verse 1, where it says to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I wonder if maybe the principle is start with gentleness mm -hmm. and then get more and more bold as you need to. Yep. Um, I, I see this as a principle not just with our brethren, but with our children, too. Um, start with gentleness and only go as far as escalate as far as they need it uh, and then the and, and I really liked your point as well about it's not about one person being right and the other person being wrong because it may be that if I go to someone because they're wrong I may change my mind and be like wait it, it was me who was wrong I, I agree with you you know and if we allow for that possibility um, that oh, let's just look at what the scripture says, yeah. then I think it goes a long way too. Yeah, I think it, in my mind, it, it goes back to, am I approaching you like a brother or sister as a family member, which is what we should be. And I, I always, unless it's a blatant issue, I always try to go in with the attitude of maybe I'm wrong. And let's, here's what, the way I view it. And it's the same way I would approach my brother or my mother or my father, the physical brother, father, mother. Maybe I'm wrong. Help me out with this. And so I, I completely agree. I just wanted to say um, basically along the same lines, you, there's, a, there's a gentle way of doing things and then there's a, a, a rude way of doing things. And if you're, if you're too bold and you're too forceful, you're going to chase the person away. But if you come to them and say, uh, maybe I misunderstood this, or maybe I uh, don't understand where you're coming from with this, or something of that nature, and you're more gentle about it, the more off 
more more than often they'll they'll tell you what what's been bothering them or what the sin is and if you can keep that between you two and work it out that that's the best method but if not then sometimes you have to go further and you have to yeah. be so again give the people the benefit of the doubt um, with this um, and again stand for what's right but stand in the right way um, so he continues on Pause and make sure there aren't any other hands to go up. Yep, John. Yeah, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica talked about this same subject. He said, uh, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so they may be put to shame. And yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Mm -hmm. So anytime something like that takes place, the method and the attitude should be to try to have the best outcome possible, not to drive a person away, but to draw them closer. Yeah, I completely agree. And again, it's not about me. It's about trying to get that person back. And I think the other piece that we've already touched on is as a brother. And again, I try to think about how am I going to approach my physical brother, my physical mother, my physical father, if, if I think there's error in their life. And as long as we're approaching them, in most cases, our family relationships are good. Um, in most cases, you're going to approach that mother, that father a little bit differently than, than you're wrong. And let me, I got to talk to you about, you know, why you're wrong. Well... Again, it's all in our attitude and trying to get that person back. And that's, that's the end goal, the main goal. So he continues on um, in verses um, 3 through following. We walk in the flesh. We, we do not war according to the flesh. So in this section, he starts using some of the, the language around a battle and around a war that's going on. And, and obviously, it's a battle, it's a war against Satan. But in this case, I think he's also speaking directly to the battle, the war against these false teachers. Um, he could also be speaking about some of these divisions and this conflict within the church. But I think more, off, more likely, it's around some of these doctrinal issues these false teachers are bringing in um, and creating these divisions. And so we have to realize that we are in this physical battle. We are in a battle, um, but we use spiritual weapons. Uh, physical battle as far as opposing false teaching, physical battle against our own desires, our own will. Uh, but we're using, as it says, weapons of warfare, not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, destroying speculation, lofty things. Uh, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So it's a battle or a war for souls. It's a battle or a war for our soul. Um, and I think about, again, everyone is very familiar with multiple passages that, that have this battle metaphor, this war metaphor. You think about First and Second Timothy. Um, First Timothy 1, uh, fighting for the souls. Second Timothy chapter 2, you know, as a soldier, do not become entangled with the things of this world. Um, and again, with Timothy and Second Timothy, I think it's it's very much a direct. He as a preacher, he as a teacher is maybe a little bit different, but I think the principle around being entangled with the world 
as we face this battle, this battle for our soul and those around us, it's really important for us to think about. It's very easy for us to take our responsibilities too far, our responsibility to work and provide for our family, our responsibility to take care of our children, our responsibility to do whatever it is, do we become entangled in that where that becomes our number one priority? Uh, we have to realize and take a step back and go, this is a battle. This is a war that we're in. Um, I think about, um, think about as we're going to talk about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, if you turn over to verses 14 and 15, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as angels of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So it's a battle against those false teachers. They've come in and disguised themselves, the workers of Satan, as workers of light. So within the church of Corinth, these false teachers, these, these people that have aligned themselves to Satan were amongst the church. And so I think it's important for us to realize and see and think about Satan's tactics. He's not going to come in and knock on our door and say, okay, you need to start worshiping Satan. You need to start sacrificing and, and all of those things. No, it's going to come in disguised as light. Uh, I think about 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So it's a battle. It's a battle against a formidable foe. And so we need to realize, realize and, and recognize that that's what we're fighting against. But we can realize that we've been given the tools to overcome that foe. Um, you think about and you can look at these passages, this passage, pulling down of strongholds, casting down of arguments, bringing into every thought into captivity punishing the disobedient. So he's using language that's talking about a physical warfare. And again, I think it's to help us understand how serious this battle is for our souls, for our children's souls, for the souls of the church. Um, we can use these spiritual weapons. I think about Ephesians chapter six, um, Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18 around the weapons that we have at our disposal. Um, and only those weapons are going to allow us the spiritual victory, but that victory is provided by God through Christ. Gary. Yeah, I was going to mention Ephesians 6, but with, a, a, I guess, a special emphasis on uh, Ephesians 6.17 about the sword of the spirit, mm -hmm. because that is our weapon mm -hmm. against that, that he's talking about that's going to be able to destroy these fortresses of evil. But we've got to know the, the, the word, and we've got to be able to reason from the word. And, we, and I've said this many times in my classes, we are victim to be reasoning emotionally and not logically from the scripture. And when you look at Paul and him going into the synagogues, he reasoned from the scripture. He used logic based on the scripture to show who Christ was. Yeah, the gospel. I, I think it's a great point. You think about, uh, to your initial point, the sword of the spirit. Uh, in Ephesians 6, there are multiple things that are provided for us for defense. Well, the sword is, is, can be used as a defensive weapon, I guess, but it's primarily an offensive weapon. It's primarily for going and putting down these strongholds. So I think that's the first thing. I think the, the, the second thing, I think it's a fantastic point, and I think he, and we're going to look at it in chapter 11 and chapter 12, 
he's using logic and reasoning to defend his point even in those chapters, but there are multiple places where um, he's, he's not just said, I'm right because I'm right. No, here's the reasons I'm right. And so I think it's a great point, Kerry, that we need to be very adept at using that sword. We gotta know the sword. We gotta practice at using that sword because if we're in the moment and we haven't practiced and we haven't thought about and we haven't game planned for this battle we're in, chances are the emotions are gonna take over and that could be fear, that could be anger, all of these things that we've already talked about. You know, I think about, and, and maybe Bruce have comments, if you're going into a battle, you don't just go, okay, I'm gonna pick up this gun and I'm rolling. No, you practiced, you've thought about it, you've prepared for it. And so I think it's a fantastic point, Kerry. Well, that's true. And I, I, the King James, when he talks about these false teachers, uses uh, the word imaginations. <clears throat> I go back to the garden, and I know y'all get tired of me saying I'm going back to the garden, but uh, Eve knew what she was supposed to do. God had told her. And up until that day, she was obviously fine with that. But Satan introduced this imagination as to why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. And he puts these imaginations that appeal to our pride or maybe to our fleshly imagination. Uh, talking about uh, this war being carnal, fleshly words and fleshly ideas will get us into trouble. And so... Uh, we need, we need to study. We need to understand so that when Satan puts these imaginations in, why would God send someone to hell when he loves everyone? And why would uh, <clears throat> someone be lost when God is a God of love? Because if you study carefully, you'll see that Jesus didn't say all would be saved. He said many would be saved. Uh, so these imaginations that Satan puts in these thoughts into our head as to questioning God are eliminated only when we become familiar with the word of God and when we practice it and when we question uh, yes question uh, what is being said if we're not familiar or it strikes us uh, not to lean on our own understanding uh, but to search the scriptures daily. Yeah. Great point. Again, studying, knowing, and being prepared for this battle. If we don't prepare, then we're not even in the battle. Um, you know, we're, we're destined for, for losing. Um, so very good, good comments. So let's continue on. Uh, verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> Um, he transitions to, maybe not transitions, he, he starts looking at and speaking to, in verse 7, you're looking at things as they are outwardly. So this idea of these false teachers are these individuals at Corinth uh, looking at, at the exterior, the cover of the book rather than what's in the book. Um, and so he, in this section, starts talking about and speaking to the idea of a false apostle versus a real apostle, asserting himself as the real apostle, uh, asserting himself as having that authority, um, not just authority in and of himself, 
uh, but authority that was provided him uh, in verse 8. Further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. Uh, so that authority that was given to him for Christ, uh, by Christ. Kind of back to, to Carrie's point. It wasn't, and, and he goes on to talk about boasting um, and, and boasting in some of, some of, I guess, his credentials. It wasn't boasting um, and it wasn't authority that was just he took on himself. He's got proof, and we'll look in the following chapters, um, why he has authority and why they should respect his authority. He's using reasoning. He's talking through what he's done. And, and more importantly here, he's looking and speaking to this idea of building up versus tearing down and asking the Corinthians to really think about what these false teachers are proposing to them. They're proposing taking a step back into the under and, and then pursuing the old law. Um, and again, He's asserting himself and saying he's there to build them up and edify them and encourage them, uh, whereas those false teachers are, are there for destruction. I think it's interesting, and we won't go into it, but uh, just for kind of a side note, this idea of building up versus tearing down or versus destroying multiple of multiple books that I looked at in preparation, the expositors linked this, and I think rightly so, to some of the comments that Jeremiah made. Jeremiah 24, verse 6, For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to the land, and I will build them up and not overthrow them. Uh, Christ, our God speaking through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah just announcing the destruction of Jerusalem and encouraging Israel to return, to turn. Uh, obviously, they, they didn't. Um, and, but I think here, to kind of continue that, that thought, the church at Corinth still had time. Um, Israel lost their time. And so um, Israel was taken into captivity, but the, the church at Corinth still has that ability to turn. And he's encouraging them, building them up so that they would turn. Um, and in verses 9 and following, do not wish to seem as if I were terrifying you by my letters, for they say my letters are weighty and strong, but my personal preference is unimpressive. Uh, again, judging, they're trying to judge the book by its cover. Um, the, the accusations, as we've already looked at earlier in 2 Corinthians, were he was bold, he was fiery, he was difficult in his uh, fierce in his word in his letters but when he was present uh, he was weak um, and again we've already talked to earlier some of this um, obviously is Paul's plan as far as how he's trying to approach them and push them to be the, the Christians they need to be without using the rod. Um, and, and again, what this weakness is in front of them, it, it, we'll have to read in between the lines a little bit. It could be physical appearance. I think more likely it's just how he's speaking to them and trying to encourage them. Um, the pro, I, again, I like reading in between the lines a little bit and thinking, okay, what are the false teachers saying? I could easily see them saying, he writes powerfully, but when he's in front of you, um, he's going to cower. Um, he probably doesn't have the authority he needs, and he doesn't have the authority, so he only speaks to you this way in letters. Uh, maybe they're saying uh, when he talks, nobody listens to him. That's why he has to write these difficult letters. The, the point, though, is the critics of Paul here 
misinterpret that meekness as weakness, that forbearance as cowardice, uh, that gentleness as indecision. And I think Paul is putting that to rest here and will for the remainder of this, this uh, book. Um, he is the same person in person as he is in his letters. And again, I think it, for me, obviously, I'm not going to be writing letters to a, a church, but I, I start thinking about, okay, we need to walk the walk and talk to talk. If we're saying, we need to make sure that, if we're saying something, we need to make sure we're doing it. Um, because this is a place where those that are opposing the gospel could find and point to a hypocrite. And so Paul is fully the one he is in his letters as he is in person. And, and I think we need to make sure that we're pursuing that same idea. So verses 12, please raise your hands if you got comments. I'm kind of scooting through some of this uh, because I've got a couple weeks left before the end of the quarter and I want to make sure we, we give time to really the key points that, that need to be touched on within these chapters. And unfortunately, the teacher kind of gets to desert, decide the key points as far as me going. But if you all have thoughts that, I, that I'm missing, please raise your hand and speak up. It's always good after you say that to pause as a teacher and look around. Don't say it and then keep rolling. Um, it's a bad habit of mine. Um, so in, in going back to the passage, <clears throat> verses 12 and following. In fact, let me see if I can get caught up with, there we go. 12 and following, he gets into this idea of those opposing him in their boasting. Uh, in verse 12, <clears throat> we are not bold to class ourselves with some of those who command themselves, uh, commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Uh, so again, I think I think Paul here is starting to get into a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of um, um, I guess biting sarcasm. Doesn't make sense for them to compare themselves against themselves, uh, and I think the same applies to us. Is um, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to ourselves, but are to those around us. We should be comparing ourselves to the word and looking to the word only. Um, you know, I think about also um, this, this pride that I think Paul is addressing here is, I know I'm right, and we've already kind of spoken to that earlier. We need to be very careful um, about how we think about ourselves and how we, we judge ourselves. I think about Romans chapter 12 that we studied recently, do not think more highly of oneself than we ought to. Uh, and that's, I think, what Paul is speaking to here. He's not boasting, he goes on in these verses, uh, verse 14, we do not overextend ourselves as if we are not, uh, as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come to you as far as the gospel of Christ. Uh, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in another man's labor, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we shall be within your, our sphere enlarged even more by you. So he's not boasting in another man's labor. He's boasting in the work that he's done for the gospel. He's boasting in the work um, that, <clears throat> that has been accomplished through the word. Um, and again, going back to this idea of boasting, Tying into Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, let no man, no wise man boast of his wisdom, nor let any mighty man boast of his might, nor rich man. Goes on in the end, verse 24, um, 
let the one who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, what is the Lord? Uh, again, not boasting in his own work, but boasting in, in Christ. Chris. The, uh, I, I tend to take things literally, so I'm not sure about the sarcasm. Maybe, though. Could be. Uh, but, when, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. I, I look at that more of like, uh, this is what I do when I think more highly of my own thoughts than what the Bible says. And, uh, and then Paul talks about how he, limit, uh, he doesn't boast but limits, uh, is within the limits of the sphere God appointed to him. And as should we all, and, and you mentioned. Um, but I think of kind of a, how, how we act to, if we are doing things and are kind of self-congratulatory, uh, I think it, just to pick on other groups for a second, um, those who raise funds in ways that are not authorized, those who use their building to uh, cook food, um, those who uh, use musical instruments, and these are supposed to be expedients, and they think of it as, okay, I can do this because it's helpful to others to have instruments playing while we uh, praise God with our words, with our, with our voices. Um, I'm helping people by feeding them. Um, and, you know, not just to pick on others, but on ourselves. When we, uh, when we have the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening, uh, if it's not scripturally founded, we're, we're, we're using, we're saying expedient, but we're not really, um, we're, we're not going by scriptural authority, and that, that's what concerns me. Well, I think that um, we have to be careful and look to the word and all things and, and make sure on two fronts that, that we are um, only doing what God gives us authority to do, but then also the, the, the flip side of that is we need to be very careful that, that as we bind things one way or the other, that we're not going beyond the word. Um, and we're, we're just as guilty on either side of it. If we leave things undone, that, that should be done, we're guilty. If we, if we bind things that are okay to do, then, then the flip side of that is we're just as guilty. Um, and so we got to be careful. And again, it goes back to studying the word and knowing the word and looking to, again, Paul's point here, the authority that has been given to him by Christ, looking to the word and looking to Paul rather than looking to these false teachers. Um, pause to make sure other hands didn't go up that I missed while we were, we were commenting over here. Um, so, again, Paul, Paul was given the authority by Christ to instruct and teach the Gentiles. He goes on in these verses towards the end of this chapter and talk about he being, them being the first ones that brought the gospel to the church at Corinth. Um, and again, um, thinking about that hope that the Corinthians, um, he was hoping that the Corinthians would um, give him um, or look to him for authority. But then also he speaks to um, verse 16, so as to preach the gospel even to regions beyond you and not to boast. 
in, the, in what has been accomplished in the sphere um, of another. And so, again, the hope is not only that they turn, but that he continue to be able to preach. And I, and I wonder if here he's looking for them to encourage him and, and provide him that opportunity to go beyond, uh, but also to, to, and again, I think about it as maybe a jumping off point, that by their foundation, and their encouragement, and we've already talked about earlier in the book of Corinthians, how the Corinthians' faith, their, their um, passion for Christ encouraged the Macedonians. Um, so how much can their faith, how much can their uh, faithfulness and their passion for Christ um, extend beyond just Corinth to the region around them potentially? And so ending up in verses 17 and 18 is kind of the summation. But he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And that's the end of it in my mind is, or that's the main point of this whole chapter is, don't boast in ourselves, but boast in the Lord. And it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think about me. It matters what the Lord thinks about me. And so the only way we can know that is by looking at the word, by understanding the word, um, by, by um, looking in this mirror, the mirror of the word. Um, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Um, you know, it shames the wise uh, and no human should boast before God, but to let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So the idea of, of God is, has selected um, the weak of this world. Um, maybe those who, from a worldly standpoint, aren't the wisest. Uh, that's who he's chosen. And so the point is not that we're not smart. The point is, is we look at something else for our wisdom other than worldly wisdom. And so um, I'll end here because I see we've got young people out. Thank you all for your comments. <laughs>